It's been 30 years since Batman the Animated Series, also known as BTAS, debuted on television in September of 1992. For many, it instantly became their definitive version of Batman. In honor of the 30th anniversary, today's episode of Sidebar Forever is an all-out love fest for a show that truly broke new ground in superhero animation and gave us yet another iconic portrayal of the Cape Crusader. In the conversation, Dwight Swain and myself break down how Batman the Animated Series came together, discuss memorable episodes such as On Leather Wings, Heart of Ice, and Two-Face, and we put respect on the names of the driving creative forces who launched the show, including show creators Bruce Timm and Eric Radomski, writers Alan Burnett and Paul Dini, composer Shirley Walker, and voice director Andrea Romano. Speaking of voice direction, we also dive deep into many of the amazing actors who worked on BTS. Kevin Conroy, Mark Hamill, Bob Hastings, Melissa Gilbert, Ephraim Zimbalist Jr., Robert Costanzo, Tara Strong, and Lauren Lester. I'm Adrian Johnson. Dwight Swain and myself recorded this one against a black background to give it a darker, more Norish tone. How could we not, as we celebrate the 30th anniversary of a landmark TV show such as Batman the Animated Series? Can y'all believe that it's been 30 years since this show, uh, Batman the Animated Series, debuted? Like, three decades. No, bro. That's crazy. I mean, it really is. Yeah. It, is. It, it, it would be akin to like you know when we watched Tom and Jerry as kids, mm-mm, right? Mm-mm, and that was thirty years prior to that, right? You know what I mean, mm-hmm. right? So in that same instance, you know, it's funny to to view it that way. But the thing with BTAS, you know, Ban- Batman animated series, is that it still seems fresh. Yeah, very yeah. fresh. We were talking about Love our it. recent rewatches of the show. And um, Adrian, you were pointing out that a lot of the stuff still holds up mm-hmm. in terms of the drama, the high stakes, the low stakes, the emotional stakes, mm-hmm. and also even the look. What was the thing you were saying about the uh, turning the, the color off? And yeah, yeah, I was, you know, wanting to make a suggestion. You know, the next time anybody watches, you know, any episode, especially from that first season, change the setting on your TV to black and white. You know, if you can, and I guarantee you it will look like a film noir, you know, akin to like, you know, White Heat or DOA or any of those film noirs out of the past, you know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I think instantly you'll see the correlation that, you know, the creators made to want to wanting it to look like those film noirs from the uh, classics uh, Mm -hmm. from the 40s. Yeah. Yeah. Dwight, did you did you start watching the show on television? On television. You did? Yeah. Loved it, man. I mean, it's instantly instant classic for me. It was like, wow. Okay. And I... My, my previous incarnations of Batman to me, as you know, growing up as a kid, was Adam West. Sure. Right, right. And then it Enough was... respect to the guy. Go ahead. Well, right. well you know. You know <laughs> then, 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 it, then it was those Saturday morning cartoons with, with uh, of the filmation ones. You know, okay. Batman and Robin. You know, yeah. they call it, it's called Batman. And then it was then it was the 90s films with, with, with Tim Burton. And this is more akin to that that to me with Tim Burton. Mm-hmm. And what I liked about it most was the fact that it was so heavily shaded. And, 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 you, and it was like they, they moved slow and it wasn't a... The ambient noise was was very subtle of it all, right? And you see, you can move into the characters into the scene, you know, the scenes seamlessly, right? Mm. So I, I love the graphic quality of it, man. It yeah. sold me instantly. As much as as much as the uh, 
the uh, orchestral score, like by Shirley Walker and other composers, mm-hmm. played a part in it. There were uh, amazing quiet moments where someone's walking down the street and you mm-hmm. hear a can, right? Or you hear the wind blowing, or the clip you know, clop of the shoes. Yeah, and and so that in and of itself becomes its own kind of score to the scene. You know, mm-hmm. just allowing those quote natural sounds mm-hmm. to kind of, uh, you know, to kind of tell you a story without telling you a story. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, you mm-hmm. know, suggest loneliness or isolation or a crowd or mm-hmm. you know whatever they were doing I mean Gotham feel real dangerous man yeah like always yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah and that's one of the things that I picked up too in my recent rewatches mm-hmm. was is the fact that you do really did get a sense of the crime in Gotham mm-hmm. from this show and it wasn't like hitting you over the head like the films kind of do mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. the uh, the Nolan films is oh Gotham is it's just out of control yeah right, it's right. like you know it's on the brink of being like you know some kind of a dystopian you know neo future yeah. city overrun with crime or whatever mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but in this sense it was just like yeah people get mugged mm-hmm. people rob other people people get kidnapped mm-hmm. uh, buildings are blown up and there's vandalism mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and there is murder even though you know they didn't show any gore right right on this show but um but yeah man debuted in september of 1992 uh and distributed by Warner Brothers Animation. Yeah. Um, the, the short version of how the show came together, from what I understand, I watched a couple of documentaries, and I have my, of course, I pull all my DVDs out. Yeah, nice. You know, with uh, with Tim and Glenn and right. Eric and Alan and uh, Gene McCurdy and all of them. is uh, Gene McCurdy was the executive over the animation for Warner Brothers, and there was a meeting, and the 89 Batman had already been out. It was very popular. Mm-hmm. They were waiting on the second one, mm-hmm. and so they wanted to do an animated Batman cartoon. And I guess Tim was either in the, in the meeting or heard about it, and he immediately, you know, wanted to do something. So he and uh, Eric Radomski, who I believe was a background painter, yes, mm-hmm. um, they started working on, you know, some ideas of what it could look like, what it could be, and they got with McCurdy. And I think they were all in pretty much in agreement that they were going to go for an older audience of kids, you know, like maybe preteens to yeah. teenagers. Smart you know, people write at Adrian's right. age range. Twelve yeah. target market. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then and they were going to show like violence and guns and mm-hmm. and things of that nature. No gore. No, mm-hmm. you know, nobody getting truly offed. Right. Like, a lot of right. stuff would be done right. off camera in creative ways. Right. But they did want to have a more mature tone, and that's how they ended up bringing or convincing Alan Burnett to come in as one of the writers because he had done all the Scooby Doo and uh, Scrappy and Super Friends <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, and they would never show, like, they would show, he, there's a thing in one of the documentaries where Burnett was saying, like, they would have the army in the cartoon, not Batman the Enemy Series, but in one of the other cartoons he worked on, but they wouldn't hold guns. That's correct. Yep. So, <laughs> it's like, well, how does this work again? Right, right, right. They run and get the guns, come back and fight the fight <laughs> suppose, folks, right? yeah. or, or, or when they shoot the guns, it's like lasers, right. almost. Even on the um, on the uh, animated series, you know, when they right. would shoot, like, those Tommy guns. Right. Mm-hmm. You almost got the sense that they were bullets, but it was like flashes almost. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Almost like flashes of lasers mm-hmm. almost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, they had consequences, but anyway, that's how they got Alan Burnett involved and then a bunch of other amazing uh, uh, creatives as well. Mm-hmm. But man, my uh, recent rewatch, uh, I was really struck by, um, like Adrian's talking about the noir look of it, mm-hmm. but the tone of the show. Mm-hmm was just dripping with, you know, that pulp and mystery, action adventure, mm-hmm. um, crime, uh, the the look as Adrian is referring to, you know, the, the art deco, mm-hmm. you know, which I don't 
know why when I watched the Hughes, you know, years ago when it was on television and, and when I watched the episodes, it never, I never questioned, well, why is, you know, there's not this much Art Deco anywhere, you know, right, right, right. <laughs> you know, I mean, the interiors, the exteriors and, you know, everything, mm-hmm. but, you know, they kind of wanted it to be consistently like Batman was created in the late thirties. That's right. Late thirties, right? Yep. So it's constantly, it's, it's never stopped being 1938 or 1940. Mm-hmm. All the way through, even though they have cell phones and they have modern helicopters, mm-hmm. you see blimps. Right, you right. Know, Those are uh, awesome. They have computers. Yes, right. You know, um, no laptops. <laughs> I haven't seen laptops. Mm-hmm. But um, but you know, just the look, it, very like German expressionism. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of the contrast and everything. Mm-hmm. And and like you said, I, I was the other thing I, I stuck with me too was is Shirley, Shirley Walker in particular. Her, uh, her score. Her score. Mm-hmm. You know, these it was dramatic, like an old Warner Brothers gangster film. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, all this kind of orchestration mm-hmm. and the drums mm-hmm. and the soaring horns, emotional buildup. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. was. It was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, definitely. But again, as a younger person watching it, I never questioned why does it feel so vintage at the time, but it, it, it just feels did. Timeless, exactly. Yeah. Like it, like it really occupies this space where it just, you know, like I. I I was a history fan as a kid, mm-hmm. so I appreciate the, the leanings to like the 30s type of style, mm-hmm. but I it never felt old to me. I just felt like, oh, okay. Like, especially like the Batmobile itself, yeah. like in the opening, that long, just, right, you right. know, just, man, just just great. Yeah. Just great. Like an old Cadillac sedan. Yeah, mm-hmm. yo, yeah. Like a Broham, yo. <laughs> Broham doors. <laughs> but more formidable, like definitely like a lot more, a lot more like tanky in yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, some of the other people who worked on this show, uh, other than uh, like Bruce and and, uh, and Eric and Alan, um, yeah, of course Paul Dini. Mm. You know, who, from my understanding, he was kind of a big deal because he had done so much. Undeniable, Paul Dini. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Terrific writer. He had worked on the Smurfs and Hulk and Fat Albert. And Fat Albert. I was going to yeah, say back yes. in the day. Oh yeah. Yes. yes. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> um, Marty Pasco from comics. Uh, Michael Reeves was another writer that worked on the on the show. And then in the art department, the aforementioned Glenn Mirakami, uh, Shane Poindexter, Ronnie Del Carmen, mm. um, Chris Borgio, Kevin Altieri, Butch Lukic, all names that pop up in the credits. You see them you yeah. know, going back oh, and yeah. looking. Mm-hmm. Um, Kurt Gaeta, Tony Salmons. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, did uh, storyboards on. I wonder if he was fun to work with. I, I kind of. <laughs> I told a story on the, on the previous incarnation about that. You guys have to look it up, but it's funny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Larry Houston, and then uh, at the outset during development, because I think Tim didn't really have uh, a staff at the time. He reached out to some comic veterans. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Kevin Nolan yeah. and uh, Mike Mignola, yeah. uh, character designs. Mm-hmm. You know, and he was a fan. He didn't know them, and uh, they said, you know, you want to take a crack at this, and he's like, sure. You know, so they ended up submitting some. Uh, some designs and uh, so Mignola's design for Mr. Freeze is pretty much what they use and it looks exactly like it yeah it's fantastic it's awesome it's gorgeous it's fantastic. one of my favorite stories actually is that one mm-hmm. and um, and Nolan uh, contributed of course Man Bat you know from mm-hmm. his famous Man Bat story right from Secret Origin Secret Origin yes yeah. sir and awesome. he also did the design for Killer Croc that they used mm. they basically used his design for Killer Croc didn't Darwin Cook do something for this for the series oh, that was later okay. that was in a later incarnation okay. when okay. Um, Batman and Robin Adventures came back okay. and then obviously Batman Beyond okay. right, yeah, right. Yeah. and as, as uh, uh, Dwight was mentioning about the uh, the films um, Nolan did a design for the Penguin 
that they didn't use because his design was more traditional, I think. Mm. And they wanted to use one that was closer to the Penguin in the 1990 Batman Returns. Okay. So if you look at the Penguin in that very first season, he's a little kind of mutinish looking. Yeah, he's kind I, of weird looking in that way. You know, that's my flipper to, technique. But but yeah, composer Shirley Walker and uh, Danny Elfman did the theme. Mm-hmm. You know, from the uh, from the introduction mm-hmm. and voice director, the incomparable, the inimitable Andrew Romano. Mm. I mean, just fucking kills it yep. on everything, mm-hmm. everything. Um, and then other people who worked in production: uh, Tammy List, Henry Gilroy, uh, Karen Colas, Haven Alexander, and uh, T- Ted Blackman. They were like production assistants who worked on the show, mm-hmm. and they were featured in the documentary that I watched too. So mm-hmm. uh, I probably more on. Uh, I didn't want the uh, the unsung to uh, to be overlooked, but mm-hmm. um, do you guys think go back in, in in your rewatches and come up with more favorite episodes or key episodes that stood out to you? Because I did. Like mm-hmm. I thought, oh, I remember this one. This was my favorite. And then mm-hmm. when I went back, I was like, oh wow, this is really hitting me in the feels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about y'all? Yeah, there was one that I watched last night that was really good. This is a real small one. It's not earth shattering, but it's one called uh, Joker's Favor. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. the one, and, and I love those comic stories to where we take the focus off of like the hero or protagonist for a minute, mm-hmm. and just focus on like the, the little guy. Mm-hmm. You know, he has his problems, and then all of a sudden, one of the villains, you know, comes to him. Mm-hmm. You know, what I'm saying mm-hmm. intrudes on his his little world. Mm-hmm. You know, and brings him into the fold and mm-hmm. everything. That's what happens in Joker's favor. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Uh, just common guy and the Joker. He curses out the Joker <laughs> on the freeway. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Charles, hey, Charles, Charles, yeah. Charles, yeah. Jazz, yeah. Jazz. <laughs> the Joker confronts him and says, "All right, I'm gonna let you go, but I'm gonna call you. You don't know when, but I'm gonna call you. Kind of like in Goodfellas, where Robert De Niro takes the uh, truck driver's ID. Mm-hmm. You don't know us, but we know you now." Right. That type of thing. Or the shadow where you owe me a favor in the future. Or even uh, a bad Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, Eraser. Hey. You know, where he kind of goes back to the people he's helped or whatever. Yeah. And they owe him a favor. Right. And, and he, he calls in those favors. Right. Chinatown, too. Yeah. With uh, Curly. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, two years later, as the title card states, <laughs> Charles gets a phone call. And it's the Joker. I'm ready for you. You know? And so I'm going to spoil the rest of it. But yeah, I thought that was a great episode. Mm-hmm. Baby doll. That's another yeah, thing. Yeah, yo. I was like, yes. I remember seeing that as a kid and was like, this, that, that, that was a good episode, you know. That right. shit creeped me out, man. Yeah, it did <laughs> as well, yo. And then when you go back and watch it again, it's like, dang, this actually goes kind of deep. Mm-hmm. You know? It, it, it has mm-hmm. shades of whatever happened to Baby Jane kind Correct. of vibes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then also, uh, if you ever see, uh, there's a movie that came out maybe in the last 10 years. Um, what was it called? The Adoption? Uh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, it was about a little girl that gets adopted from Russia by a family here in America. Mm-hmm. And something's not right with her. And they find out that she has a disease. She's actually a grown woman playing like she's a 12-year-old. Damn! And then she's, you know, she slowly starts to like try to kill the mother and and take over the household and tries to seduce the, the, the father. Yeah. Wasn't, wasn't, and, and the girl, doesn't she have like long, dark hair? Yeah. I remember that coming out. Yes. yes. Was, yeah. was that, was that Elizabeth Shue in it? No, no it was, no. uh, it was Vera Farmiga and, mm-hmm. uh, uh, 
Peter Skarsgård. Okay. Yeah, I remember yeah. it coming out. Yeah. Okay. And I believe it was, uh, I want to say it was C.H. Uh, Pounder. Oh, wow. Okay. Plays like a um, like a woman who runs like a home for wayward children or okay. lost children or whatever. Okay. And then the girl also. Damn. It's, it's, I forgot. I can't believe I forgot the title of the movie. But, but I think but that's it's vibes it's, of that and Baby Doll. You know, yeah. this kind of sinister childlike figure. And you're like. Oh. Yeah, but, but she's a former child star. So, And it's funny how a lot of those episodes will play with. Uh, and a lot of the rogues gallery in those episodes will play with like your sympathies a bit. Yeah. Like the story makes you kind of see their point of view. Mm-hmm. Right. So then when Batman comes around, you almost feel like, dang, I kind of. Halfway want them to get away. He's been a judgmental dick. (laughs) (laughs) And then then a couple more that I had was uh, one of my all-time favorites, uh, Christmas with the Joker. I love that one. I love that one. I love that one, It's just so manic and just so... Mark Hamill is just chewing it up. Man. This is great. Hamming it up, man. And um, I like uh, Time Out of Joint with the Clock King. Wasn't it just called the Clock King? It might have been, but I thought there were there were two episodes. I think there were two episodes. The first one was the Clock King. Time out of that might have been a, a follow up. But whichever one has like Batman and Robin in it, and all I remember from the episode is like they're riding on these motorcycles and they're able to pause time or whatnot. And I remember the color. That must be the second one. Second okay. Because the the first one is the origin story of the Clock King. Okay. That's where he's an efficiency mean. expert and this uh, lawyer who's running for mayor. Tells him to change his routine and it screws up his. He loses his whole company, his fortune, whatever. And then so he sets out to uh, to get his revenge or whatever. And uh, mm-hmm. but the thing that's funny that you kind of what the just to pause here for a second is is um, like that's very noir, like desperate characters and right. no win situations, tragic characters, sympathetic villains, and. There's like a, a thread through here of like nerds who've been done wrong who get their revenge. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. Yeah, man. Uh, but exactly. uh, but absolutely, man. What about you, uh, D? Man, I still like the classics, man. I like um, uh, Clayface episode. Oh, mm. Feet of Clay. Feet of oh, clay. my God. It's so good. Yeah. Matt Hagen. Yeah, man. Mm. Yeah, man. And anytime Kevin Conroy's on it, man, it just turns of his 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 voice acting. It's just it just elevates the next level for me, man. But this yeah. this guy matched his 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 ferocity. Yeah, and, and it's like wow. I feel sorry for him, man. You know. Yeah. And that's the best type of villain. It's like you said, Adrian, earlier. It's the ones you can that can you can feel like, you know, there's a sense of humanity to them, and then you can kind of feel, look at things from their side and say, Batman's just a dick, you know. Right. Yeah. He's, he's, this, is, he's a, this is his story, but this is my story, and you switch tables, and you can say, okay, well now. It's my turn to shine and show what I can do, you know. Right. So. Yeah, like it was the same way with um, the episode. Um, I think it's called Sideshow with Killer Croc, okay. where he joins a circus, and he's amongst—I hate to say it like this—he's amongst other freaks, freaks that take yeah. him in. Right. They well, see nothing wrong with him. Right. He's not a monster to them. He's right. one of them. Mm-hmm. But to the others and to Batman, he must be stopped. You know, it's like no. And then, you know, the freaks, they're like, don't take him. You don't have to take him. Right. You know, where are you going, Croc? You right, know? right. And be like, oh, man. And all those Batman episodes are the best when they end on a dour note. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Even as a kid, that would hit me. Like, and I would feel like teared up when I was a kid. I'm, oh, I'm tearing up now. I, I'm, I'm going to tell you. Um, one of my favorites is, the, of course, and Dwight uh, uh, referenced the, uh, the classics, is Beware the Grey Ghost. Mm-hmm. And I watched mm-hmm. it yesterday while I was on the treadmill. I'm telling you, at the end, man, yeah, I was, I was all weepy, yo. Yeah. I was like, it was like, you know, I used to watch this show when I was, 
after he gets his his, his book signed by uh, by uh, Simon Trent. So I used to watch this show when I was a kid with my father. Mm. He's like, really? He says, yeah. He says, Grey Ghost was my hero, and he still is. Mm. I was like, yeah. oh man. And 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 it was really like something special because mm. all all of these episodes, not all of them, you know. I I, I remember I had, I was uh, texting with Glenn uh, years ago when yeah. we were trying to get him as a guest on the show. And I, I referenced one of the episodes. I think maybe I've got Batman in my basement. Yeah. <laughs> and Glenn was like, yeah, it wasn't our finest hour or half hour, you know. <laughs> but, you know, all of these classic episodes, they go deeper. Like, Beware the Great Ghost is really about, like, regret, being a bitter pill to swallow later in life. Yeah. And being disillusioned by meeting your heroes and finding out they're not who you think they are. Mm-hmm. Um, I Am the Knight. You know, which is another classic episode where Batman is actually, you know, being introspective and, and he's kind of doubting his mission and doubting, you know, what it is that he wants to do. You know, should I keep doing this? Am I really making a difference? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, and even like in um, Two-Face, mm-hmm. the Two-Hearted with Two-Face, which is one of my favorites. Richard Maul, you know, plays the... Uh, <laughs> yeah, <I know>. hey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, like his character, you know, he's like... You know, it's it's kind of dealing with like mental illness, and that wasn't something that you would see discussed in a child's cartoon, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, or a cartoon aimed at you know at preteens or whatnot. Mm-hmm. But you know, even that episode, you know, when he's after he's scarred, he's at the hospital, and his his girlfriend Grace is coming back to visit him, and and you hear this scream, Richard Mulder. I mean, it's blood curdling, and mm-hmm. it is to his soul. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then when he runs out, the lightning flashes, and he turns, and she can see his face, and she sees how scarred he is, and she passes out. And just throughout the course, like Dwight was saying about the sympathy, is you feel like, damn, you know, I mean, this guy was struggling with mental illness his whole life. He was successful, but mm-hmm. he was a high-functioning person mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who was trying to manage this. But um, And then to have him be, you know, scarred like this, he loses his fiance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he loses his, his esteem in the city and becomes a criminal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow. But the thing I did kind of like about it, and this is, I maybe speaks more to me. Mm-hmm. I did kind of like the idea that decisions were made by a coin. Like, he didn't have to make the decision. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. The coin made the decision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, like, what it would be like to live your life like that where you say, okay, Coin says this is what it is. That's what I'm gonna do. Right, right, right. <laughs> and be like, you know what I'm saying? You kind of abdicate your own responsibility. Take, take your onus off yourself. You yeah, 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 yeah. Man, he's uh, easily he's one of the most paradoxical characters out there. Man, I, I enjoy him for that for that reason because it's like any point in time, it's like he was a good guy until this incident. Right. Like he wasn't like the Joker. Joker was always an asshole. Right. You know, but this guy he was a good guy until this incident, and then and then it just it just changed his psyche to the point where now he, he relies on the coin to make the difference for him. As far as like, do I go or do I stay? Flip the coin. Right. Right. It's a heads, tails, or whatever, and that's the answer. Right. You know? And he, even his henchmen would be like, flipping a coin. Because right. they were there to steal the, they broke in to steal the money from, <laughs> uh, from this gangster's, uh, like, his uh, underground uh, uh, gambling organization. Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, you know, let's, he was trying to take people's rings and jewelry. He's like, no, no, no. We only, the coin said we're only coming for the money. And they're like, the coin? Yeah, you know, but they, they couldn't get it. You know? Right. So, but other other episodes that are like, of course, uh, and Dwight, I think, kind of references maybe when we're off mic, but uh, Heart of Ice, mm-hmm. classic. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, Mister Freeze again as a tragic figure in the uh, story. Man, and I'm a sucker for 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 um, like Buckethead, um, Buckethead characters that have yeah. that have, have, have that ambience yeah. to the voice. Yeah, I, uh, right, right. You hear his voice inside. Yes, the man, I love that shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
and uh, on leather wings, yeah. which mm-hmm. is a, a very popular one. Mm-hmm. A bullet for Bullock is one that I liked uh, as well. And the two-parter, Robin's Reckoning. Mm-hmm. You know, again, it's about Batman as a mentor figure, actually not just being like a mentor, but trying to be a father. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and protect Robin's. Like, no, I don't want you to find out that this guy's the guy that you know that had your parents killed. Mm-hmm. And Robin having to kind of deal with that, you know. And I like the fact that this show, especially Adrian, you were talking about how good the first season was and how long it was, how many episodes there were. Yeah. The first season, they very craftily, craftily and subtly set up Robin kind of pushing against Batman as a mentor to become Nightwing later. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, he never listens to me. He doesn't want me to go on certain adventures with him. He doesn't think I can handle it. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to sneak behind his back and go anyway and... You know, he doesn't listen. You know, just all of those things that mm-hmm. a younger person would want from the attention of their mentor, and he didn't give them that, and it kind of leads you into, I'm going to become my own person later mm-hmm. on. And I think that's why I didn't mind it as a kid, you know, because Robin can be annoying, because this was right before... <laughs> <laughs> He's a boy wonder! Yeah, but <laughs> this was right before I started getting into comics real heavy. Right. You know what I'm saying? I would get into comics heavy that following year, 93. Mm-hmm. But, you know, before that, when this was coming out, he was kind of the surrogate for us. Now, Robin mm-hmm. didn't show up in the earlier episodes, like maybe here and there. Charles Once he started being a regular some yeah. way, yeah. I didn't mind it. Mm-hmm. You know, especially as, as a kid. I was like, he was a surrogate for a younger person, so mm-hmm. to speak. Mm-hmm. And plus, when he and Batman were together, it was a good it was a good offset. Right. You know, especially when they had like those adventures, like I said, against the Clock King or other things like that. It was like they, they work good together. Mm-hmm. And the voice talents of Kevin Conroy, who, who did the voice of Robin in those episodes? Uh Lauren Lester. Yeah. Mm. They worked very well off each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was, it was a good pairing. Yeah. The um and I think also too, man, the um because the series changed names when they made Robin more of a uh, lead figure with Batman, right? They had to retitle it Batman and Robin Adventures. Right, yeah. right. And then later it became the new Batman Adventures, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you guys ever see, because I have, I have all of it. I have, <laughs> I, and, and multiple iterations. Like I bought stuff and then bought, and then when the better version came along 10 years <laughs> or 20 years later, I bought that. So I've got, I've got it all. Yeah. But um, did you guys see Mask of, Fanta- Mask of the Phantasm and Sub-Zero, those you know, feature films? I've seen part of Mask of the Phantasm and I remember being like amazed like oh shit they actually show blood on here yeah I remember thinking that as as a kid right I was like wow that was yeah. a big thing for me yeah I've only seen part of Mask of the Phantasm at your house okay a long time ago but I never, okay. I never saw, saw, saw the full film Sub-Zero yeah either Mm-mm. okay I believe maybe both but I know for sure Mask of the Phantasm was actually a theatrical release it was I saw it in theaters okay oh, wow, by myself it. Okay. Would you please sit down and stop going to the bathroom? <laughs> um, something else I kind of noticed in my rewatch was, and again, this is the subtlety of the writing of you know, guys like Burnett and, uh, and Paul Dini, mm-hmm. is Batman would refer to Bruce Wayne as a separate person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, he would say, um, they're supposed to meet uh, at Bruce Wayne's office. Or Bruce Wayne is supposed to meet with them tomorrow. Bruce Wayne has to do so-and-so. Mm-hmm. But not as if Bruce Wayne was himself. And that was, of course, the conceit of the show. That's right. And us as, you know, as deep-cut fans to know that, you know, the real person is Batman. Mm-hmm. Bruce Wayne is the uh, is the front. That's the creation. Mm-hmm. But the real person is Batman. But another thing, too, and this is a funny, but this is a design thing. 
Bruce used to look boxy as hell in those big old suits. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The talk, the, 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 the talking head, David Burns. Take me to the river. One shot. And you may ask yourself, who is the villain for today? You may ask yourself, what city am I in? Right. Nice. As the days go by. Yeah. Robin's laying on the ground. Oh, I'm sorry. Yep. <laughs> but but y'all mentioned uh, uh, Kevin Conroy and Lauren Lester. Let's talk about some of the cast of the show, oh, man. Sir. Um, the main cast were with those two, of course, and then the aforementioned Mark Hamill as mm-hmm. the Joker. Mm-hmm. And he actually replaced uh, Tim Curry. Tim Curry was the Joker at first. Really? No way. Yeah. Like in the early episodes with Joker, it was Tim Curry? <laughs> Either it either was one or two early episodes, or they recorded the audio and then they thought better about it after the fact, and then they replaced him with Mark Hamill. Oh, Damn. They, they, as much as I love Tim Curry, and I would love to hear his voice as that, they yeah. made the right decision. Right. Mm-hmm. Mark Hamill crushed it. Oh yeah, hardcore. Uh, like, I mean, really and truly, you can say what you want about Heath Ledger and Jack Nicholson, but Mark Hamill's voice, yes, did uh, five times the heavy lifting Elevated. they did. Yeah, I mean, just yeah. my God, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> Little bats. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he just—he was just fantastic. <laughs> he right? was. Yeah. Uh, Bob Hastings was uh, Commissioner Gordon. I mean, indelible. You, you can't not hear it. Spot on. Mm-hmm. When I read Batman Year One, that's the voice I hear for Jim Gordon. Mm-hmm. It's Bob Hastings' voice. Uh, Melissa Gilbert was uh, Barbara Gordon. Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. was uh, uh, Alfred. Yeah. Okay. In yeah. the first season. Looks like that looks like I'm too little bit nice. A, yeah. a bit, yeah, yeah, a yeah, bit, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although uh, Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. was way smoother and had a you know head of hair, and yeah, nice yeah. Tight, yeah, yeah, you know all of that. Very old Hollywood kind of a figure. Right. Mm. Uh, Robert Costanzo was Harvey Bullock. Okay, yeah. Uh, Robert Costanzo was. You remember Die Hard Two? Yeah. Remember the cop who stops Bruce Willis at the airport and gives him a ticket? Okay. Oh, that was Robert. Costanzo. Okay, and he's okay. been in a ton of things. Yeah, he looks yeah. exactly how he sounds. Yeah, right. yeah. He, he he looks like a New York, yeah, you right. know, guy. You know, tough. You talking to me? You talking right. to me? You know, seen seen a lot of things. Tara Strong was in it. Um, and I think she be, she becomes Batgirl if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, and then Lauren Lester, of course, was uh, was uh, uh, was uh, Robin. But the guest stars. The the stunt casting, if you will, I guess is what they <laughs> mm-hmm. would maybe more mm-hmm. refer to it now. Adrian Barboa is the early cat woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cat in the cowl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Adrian Barboa, yo. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Barboa. Uh, Roddy Perfect. McDowell, uh, who was the... Uh, uh, what was Roddy McDowell's character? He was uh, the Mad Hatter. That figures, yeah. yeah. Roddy yeah. McDowell was the Mad Hatter. Um Adam West, of course, with the Grey Ghost. Yes. That was just, that was the most meta, perfect casting. I'm surprised they got Adam West to even do it. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, considering his relationship with the Batman character Mm -hmm. and so forth. Uh, Any other standouts for you guys in terms of the, 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 you know, well-known live-action actors who, who, who played characters. Yeah. Later on, Chris Summer played, um, she played, um, um, uh, Rachel Gould's daughter. In this version? Talia? Yeah, she played Talia. In this really? version? Maybe, I'm not sure in that version. Maybe in maybe Batman I think it was another version. Maybe Batman another Beyond. version. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. She, she, she killed it. She yeah. killed it. Yeah. Loved it. Who voiced um, Rachel Gould in this one? Do you know? David Warner. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know who David Warner is, right? 
Yeah. He well, I know him from a there's this old movie, Pegapaw movie called Cross of Iron. That's all I know him from. He's I mean, in Straw Dogs too. He is. That's right. He sure he's in, is. He's, he's in Straw Dogs. Guy. Yeah, okay. he's in Straw Dogs. Was he? he was he in Tron? Was he? He, the, he may have been in Tron. The thing that that stood out to me as soon as I saw his face, he was in The Omen. He's the guy who gets beheaded by the sheet of glass in The Omen. Oh yeah. shit! That's <laughs> David Warner. Nice. Uh, but I love David Warner as Rachel Gould, Detective. Yes. Oh, fantastic, mm-hmm. fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mary Lou Henderson was did a voice on the show. Paul Williams did a voice on the show. Paul really? Williams. Yes, who? Uh, Paul Williams was... The Penguin, yo. <laughs> I think he was Penguin. He looks yeah, like him, yeah. He was. He was, he, was the, he was the early Penguin. Okay. I don't think he, he did the whole season, but he was the early Penguin. I can see that. Yeah. Rod Perlman... Uh, John Glover, mm. Ed Asner, mm, mm. Helen Slater, okay. uh, who played Supergirl yes. in his live action Supergirl movie. Okay. And Billy Jean. And Billy Jean. Yes. <laughs> wow. Uh, and then Michael York and Treat Williams. Oh, wow. On the show, you know, as different characters. Mm-hmm. But some of them are just so great. Like, like even like if you go to some of the other things that, uh, that Tim and the other people worked on, like Superman and Justice League. Mm-hmm. You know, like when we get uh, later on, I think it was uh, Michael Madsen plays a character. Was it Metamorpho? Yes. There or Metallo. It was either Metallo or Matt. Yeah. As, and and I, that was fantastic. It was good. Dennis Farina was the voice of Wildcat in Justice yeah. League okay. later on. Okay. I mean, so many terrific ones. Mm-hmm. And I forgot the actor's name. If I'm not mistaken, he played Doctor Strange in that old Doctor Strange. Doctor Fate? Doctor Fate? No. Doctor Strange. It was, I think Doctor, it was... Uh, Dr. Mordred or whatever it was a Dr. Strange rip off okay. TV movie that they did and the oh actor, yeah 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 remember that yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the actor who played that if I'm not mistaken was the voice of the question ah, okay. on uh, on Justice League but wow. anyway Andrea Romano as the voice director for this show just fucking peerless to me she's great at leading it too man they did they showed this uh, like one of the uh, DC con last year they, they broadcast it live on on youtube and they showed her directing different actors and, and how to and how to how they do it and then mm-hmm. just cut in and the actors are on point they have to be ready to go when she's ready for them to go but she's like okay and can you do this and 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 and, and do you do this and you do this and now, now together and mm-hmm. like and just back off and then i'll do this yeah. do, do it in this kind of voice it's like wow and so yeah. one take they get it all done it's like yeah. bam 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 yeah it's very incredible to watch and, and she talks about directing the actors and she says that you know when they're reading the script, they don't really know what's going on in the scene. You know, mm-hmm. they don't they haven't acted it out. They mm-hmm. just it's just in their heads. Mm-hmm. So she has to tell them, Oh, you're getting punched. Okay, now now you're getting kicked. Mm-hmm. This should sound different from the punch. Because mm-hmm. now you're like, Oh, you know, it's like those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, they flip in Batman, it gets thrown or whatever, you know, like you have to really she has to tell them exactly mm-hmm. what's going on in the scene. Mm-hmm. So she has the storyboards to reference. Yeah. They may or may not have that. Mm-hmm. And I, but anyway, yeah, it's fantastic to see her. Uh, it really is. Her doing her thing. Yeah. It's like a, like a conductor in symphony. Hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, a couple of trivia points that I picked up and you guys probably know some of this stuff from Dwight has, uh, we're at Dwight's house and uh, Dwight's got his Batman, the animated, uh, 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 the art book mm-hmm. um, oh, she got for me for Christmas one year yeah did I yeah, yes yeah. you did yeah, yeah. I don't remember that yeah yeah alright you're welcome sir because that looks like <laughs> <laughs> I think I got two I think I got one for myself and I got one for you right. yeah. <laughs> as yeah. a gift but um, but yeah so, some and some of this is, is common knowledge like you know the Tim Curry thing but the opening sequence um, 
that opens the show was based on a demo that they did to sell the tone of the show mm-hmm. to the executives. This is what it could look like. And so, you know, you see guns and you see the criminals and you see mm-hmm. Batman dispatching them, you know, on the rooftop. And then, of course, that famous silhouette with the lightning behind it. Mm-hmm. That was like a demo that they did uh, uh, for the uh, for the executives. It was Kevin Conroy's idea to use two slightly different voices yeah. for, uh, for Bruce and Batman. You know, Bruce is a little more up-tempo. Hi, Commissioner. How you doing? Yeah. And then, sure, Alfred. You know, and then he goes a little more somber. And mm-hmm. to me, of all the actors who have attempted that, he has done the best job yeah. of it. Yeah. Where it doesn't sound hacky <laughs> or phony or contrived. It sounds... Like, like sounds assertive. Yeah. And I was like, hey, look. You know what I'm saying? But when he's Bruce, I noticed that watching it last night, yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Like, when he's Bruce, he's very like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll meet you for dinner at eight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Harley Quinn and Renee Montoya were both created for Batman the Animated Series. So they didn't exist nope. before that? Nope. Wow. Nope. Dini created that Harley Quinn character, I believe, maybe with Tim. Yes. Mm-hmm. For the episode. Um, yeah. And she first appears in the series along with Renee Montoya, and then later they're introduced into the DC Comics proper. That's crazy because when I was getting into comics, Montoya was in the comics like during Nightfall, and that would have been like around '93. But that was just as these cartoons were coming, right? So they quickly integrated Montoya into it. Yeah, that seems like her and Bullet—they've always been there, Mm -hmm. right? Okay. Mm -hmm. So as it relates to that, this is another one. This is why I sent you guys that Harvey Bullet first appears in Detective Comics 441. That's right. Created by Archie Goodwin and Howard Chaykin. Yes. <laughs> and it's only for brief, and you don't get much a sense of him, but they incorporated his character into the animated show and obviously made him a more prominent figure and gave him a, uh, a real personality for as much as that character has a personality. Wait, yeah. Hey, wait, Kate wait, Freak! Wait a minute. <laughs> but but prior, prior to prior to the first Tim Burton movie, he was... He was a, oh, yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, he showed up in, the, I guess that was maybe early 80s, late 70s, early Late 80s. 70s. Yeah. yeah, late 70s. Wow. Yeah, yeah Batman, uh, Detective Comics 441. Impressive, mm-hmm. impressive. Um, and in that issue, there is a backup story with the Manhunter, with Goodwin uh, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, and, and Sam. Simon. Simon. Ooh, this is yeah. my shit. <laughs> yeah, mine too, though. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> uh, we mentioned about the designs and all of that. Um. The acronym Batman the Animated Series wasn't adopted until later, like Adrian was pointing out. I think right. we were talking earlier. Yeah, B Tags. Yeah. It, it it was just they never said it called it anything. It was just And you can notice that in the opening, there are no titles that say Batman. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Yeah. It's just that you know what this is. Come right. on now. You know right. what this is. Right, right. I mean guy's been around at but at that point, you know, sixty some odd years. Yeah. yeah. Come so on. Yeah, you know what's up. But what do you guys think, man, ultimately made a show like this special and makes it endure like it has? Because, again, I mean, we all kind of come, we're coming back to it as middle-aged men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And despite, like, I tried to de- to deter or deflect some of my nostalgia mm-hmm. and just say, okay, is this still entertaining to me? And I was caught up in the story. Right. So all the things we, we you all have mentioned in that I, that we all brought up here today, a lot of it stayed with me but what do you guys think really made it special and different from other things it's the stories that are timeless yeah i mean and it's, it's the way it's the way it's filmed animation is a style that's not glitzy and glamorous it's it's it necessitates the mode mm-hmm. and it, it just feel it feels like you can't help but get gripped by it and be and brought into it based on that 
And I think unlike a lot of cartoons today, where it almost feels like, you know, ephemeral or something like, you know, sh- sugary cereal almost. <laughs> You know, where it's candy like, coated. Yeah, you know <laughs> that stuff didn't talk down to the audience. Mm-hmm. It was written by writers who were actual like writers, mm-hmm. and it's amazing. In 22 minutes, you know, counting commercials and everything, in 22 minutes mm-hmm. they're able to deliver a full plot story, characters make you feel for these characters, mm-hmm. and you never felt like you were being talked down to, even as a kid. I mean, it was one of those cartoons that even my dad watched. If he would be home early from work when I got there, or he would be coming in, he and I would sit down and watch the episode together occasionally. Mm, nice. And he enjoyed that's nice. it. That's nice. It would just be like, dang, yeah. you know? Yeah. 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 And maybe maybe the kind of uh, nods to older films and the older styles, mm-hmm. you know, something that he picked up on, exactly. you know, probably watching those films when he was a kid. Exactly. Or, you know, he would come in, I think he got into it. When he saw me watching it, and it was some fight scene whatnot, and you know how those fight scenes were staged, were like you would see the punch connect, but it would be like a slight flash as the punch connected to add to the emphasis of mm-hmm. Psh, psh, mm-hmm. Psh, mm-hmm. that type of thing. So I think he got into it on that, and just yeah, the stories are timeless, and it didn't talk down to the audience, yeah, mm-hmm. which I feel that a lot of animation does today. You know, there's some yeah, there's that some. carry on the tradition yeah, of, you right. know, the animated series, right. of course, that whole Tim verse. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think those stories and then later Tim series, you know, really carry on. It's the writing. Yeah. Before, first and foremost, it's the yeah. writing and the design. Right. Yeah. When, I think when, when, you, when you look at animation today, not all of them, like I said, it's a really right. good series out on Netflix, especially. They're sure. really, really carrying the, the, the banner higher. But when you look at the, the quality of, of, of the storytelling meshed with, this, with, the, with the animation, it's undeniable. Mm-hmm. Like, one of the things that, 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 um, that, that gets me is, is um, when, when, it, when, it, when it comes on, it's just slow. It's like this. Right. <laughs> and it kind of reminds me, in a lot of ways, it reminds me of, um, of that, that scene in Fantasia. Where Mickey Mickey's conducting and he's sitting there and that and that that uh, that the character rises out is Maleficent that rises out of the out of yeah the, like this little di- not a little demon but a demon type yeah demon. yeah it it always feels like a sense of magic with that with that, with that show man to me and I, I I love it based on that oh absolutely absolutely man yeah the um yeah I think it's, you're definitely right as far as the writing is concerned mm-hmm. like you're saying not talking down to the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to present real characters, mm-hmm. even the villains, you know, real characters, the, the mobster whose brother loses his leg because mm-hmm. they're playing on the railroad track. They're relatable. Yes, I love that episode. Yeah, yeah. 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 They're you relatable. Know, and, and him, you know, again, having regret, mm-hmm. but, you know, he's already taken on this, this mantle as this gangster, so he's got to be hard. And then mm-hmm. eventually he, you know, he comes to terms with the fact that, you know, he's got he's to reconcile. He's got he's to, uh, he's got to make it right in some kind of way. Mm-hmm. But I think that, I think the, um, the voice casting, the fact that the writing was so good, so the actors, you know, treated it mm-hmm. seriously, and mm-hmm. you felt that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I was watching the one with the Mad Hatter episode with Roddy McDowell, and I was listening to the subtlety of his voice. And, you know, I think he's, he was a trained actor. Is Roddy McDowell? Oh, yeah. Pretty much so. Yeah, Shakespearean. Yeah. He's a trained actor, mm-hmm. so, you know, he's, ho, ho, ho. So I, I just love Alice in Wonderland. You remember that song in there? Will they, won't they? Will they? You know, and you hear hear his voice, like all these peaks and valleys in the performance mm-hmm. of his, you mm-hmm. know, of of his character mm-hmm. and, and whatnot, mm-hmm. and you really hear him taking it seriously. So I think that was part of it too. Is the actors? I've, I've even in uh, one of the documentaries, in one of the documentaries on um, 
on my DVDs, you know, they say, you know, the actors would come in and after they would finish uh, recording, they said, man, this is great stuff. Mm-hmm. I wish I could get some stuff like this in live action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, but I, and I th- think that, like you said, the eternal kind of look of it, you know, mm-hmm. with uh, mixing the modern with the, the, the vintage mm-hmm. and, um, and the fact that it seems as if every, and the fact that it seems as if everyone cared, yeah. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. All parties involved in, on the creative team from the, you know, the, the showrunners, they all seem to really care, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and put all themselves into it. Yeah. And it just, it comes across. It just comes across. Now, one, one question I had, I meant to look this up. Was this sent overseas to be animated or was that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the look of the cartoon as well, like I know now, a lot of cartoons are just super slick, mm-hmm. you know, because digital. You know, of course, mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I thought that there was a lot of, some of the animation might have been done here for before Warner Brothers really closed down the animation department. Because yeah. I, I was just noticing they don't really do stuff like this anymore. My, underst- my understanding, again, from one of the old docs on the uh, the DVDs was that, yeah, they would send it overseas to be animated. And when they would get it back, sometimes, like, you know, someone's, the coloring would be off. You know, because, you know, the people who are animating over there, it's a different culture. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they have the script and they have some sense of what's going on. But, Mm -hmm. you know, there are going to be subtleties to the story that they might miss. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the coloring would be off. But it was sent overseas. Maybe Korea. I'm not mistaken. Most likely. You know, to to be animated. But despite all of that, it just still looks fantastic. Mm -hmm. And and I'll end with what we kind of started with uh, when Dwight uh, opened up his Batman the Animated Series. Those title cards were just the icing just chef's kiss just yes. the icing on the cake yes, sure. of the show yes, sure. i love seeing those like those prime me for it did, what was didn't going it? to happen didn't it? yeah like, oh, man it's like oh God. shit this is gonna be <laughs> yeah i mean they're just so great and my understanding is i think eric radomsky did most of those according mm. to uh bruce tim yeah but they're just they're just wonderful and classic and just a callback to yeah exactly just sure yeah what? What? We're looking at the spread of them now. It's like a, a, a not a trip tick. What's a four tick? tick. <laughs> four, four ticks. <laughs> um, but you know, just those eternal youth, feet of clay. It's never too late. Um, yeah. Beware the gray ghost. Off balance. The demon's quest. Mm-hmm. The terrible trio. Side show. Yeah. Showdown. The cat in the claw. Uh, perchance to dream. Yeah, man. Shadow of the bat. Terror in the sky, just wonderful, man. Gorgeous stuff. You know, man. all those just, just, just funny off time. All those sound like titles that you would see on like <laughs> old episodes of like the streets of San Francisco. Man, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, written by Glenn A. Larson. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Though? Like, that's the thing, and odd, not oddly enough, but coincidentally. James Tucker, when he went on to do the the Brave and the Bold, yeah. he did the same thing where he said he wanted every every one of the title cards for the episodes to be like, uh, "This is a so and so so production," yeah. you know, like that. Right, So they absolutely nailed it, you know. That concludes this episode of Sidebar Forever, hosted by Dwight Clark, Swain Hunt, and Adrian Johnson. You can find us online at sidebarforever.com. 
Any emails or questions can be directed to us at sidebarforever at gmail.com. And also, subscribe to us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram.